0: lot of people with lung cancer are fatigued from saying no, especially if their thoughts about safe practices differ from others in their family. They're
1: tired of being that person that always say no. Advances in lung cancer treatments over the last few years have made it possible to live with lung cancer for years after diagnosis. But living with lung cancer during the COVID-19 pandemic is an entirely new complication. I'm Diane Mulligan.
2: And I'm Sarah Beatty. Today, we'll touch base with a cancer psychologist about the challenges of making calculated risks around the holiday season and a pulmonary specialist on the advice he's giving his own patients and family about holiday get-togethers and an upcoming COVID-19 vaccine.
1: Lung cancer is a tough topic. It's a disease that affects patients, families, friends, co-workers, but first, it's a disease that affects people. The Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast brings you stories about people living, truly living with lung cancer, the researchers dedicated to finding new breakthrough treatments, and others who are working to bring hope into the lung cancer experience. Reliable information about COVID-19 is so important as we're learning more about the disease every day. For people living with lung cancer, access to accurate, useful information is absolutely critical.
2: Dr. David Ingbar, a pulmonologist with the University of Minnesota Medical School, joins us to give an important update on COVID-19 as we head into the winter holidays. So there is so much confusion surrounding the best ways to mitigate the risk of getting COVID right now. Can you talk about what you're seeing in the latest research and help us understand the best advice currently on wearing masks, social distancing, hand-washing, gathering in groups, all of these things that we have been hearing about Um, and maybe some of that advice has changed or, um, you know, is disputed. From a research perspective, from your perspective um, as a pulmonologist, what do you know and what can you tell us about those um, recommendations?
3: My perspective is that, you know, the uh, CDC, World Health Organization, and others have talked about transmission through touching surfaces and touching face and things like that, and also transmission from the air that we breathe. Personally, uh, I think both routes are potential ways of transmission, but I think the air we breathe is much riskier than surface touching and things like that, even though the virus can persist on surfaces. So I totally support cleaning surfaces and being careful and washing your hands and doing all those things. But I think that that avoiding exposures uh, through masking and social distancing is actually a lot more important and being careful about trying to uh, limit the bubbles of people that we come into contact with either directly or secondarily. Um, Because I think over time there's greater and greater appreciation that the airborne route is probably significantly riskier than the surface contamination route. Um, So I really strongly encourage people to, number one, regularly wear masks if they're out and exposed to do social distancing and to limit the, the bubbles. I think, you know, the mask question that has been most interesting recently is everybody agrees that if I've got COVID, I need to have a mask on to limit my exposing it to others. The interesting debate is whether my wearing a mask makes it much less likely I will get it from other people. And the answer is a little bit, There are conflicting studies, but I think there probably is some benefit of wearing uh, a mask on my risk of contracting COVID as I'm going to the supermarket or something like that. So I view mask wearing as beneficial, not just for others, but also for me as an individual to help prevent my likelihood of getting COVID. And, you know, in the clinical setting, uh, when I'm taking care of patients who don't think of COVID, I'm always wearing a mask. Now I'm also wearing a face shield in addition, um, just to try to minimize it, because we know that probably a third to a half the people who have COVID infections don't have symptoms.
1: Dr. Imbar, that's great information. And and I think a lot of it is based on what we know now that we didn't know in the spring, but are there other changes in treatment or our approach to managing COVID-19?
3: I think we appreciate even more that if you are gonna be around people, you're much better off outside than inside, Um, number one. I mean, I think that the transmission in the outside spaces, if you are socially distanced is, clearly something where we've not seen much transmission. I think the other thing that unfortunately has come up over the summer is that gatherings like weddings and parties and going to bars and other places where people are uh, with folks and maybe letting their guard down, and particularly where they're around people in closed spaces for long periods of time, are really dangerous situations to be avoided. in the state of Minnesota, where they've been doing a lot of contact tracing, I know you know weddings and celebrations in particular, unfortunately, have proven to be dangerous get-togethers.
2: You you mention um, unfortunately, uh, really special events like like weddings and graduations and parties where we um, get to you know be together with our friends and our family, and we're headed into a time of year where we traditionally gather with friends and families. We go to religious services um, and it's getting cold. So we're typically indoors when we're, um, you know, you go to a coffee shop or a restaurant, things like that. So what are the challenges to slowing the spread of coronavirus in these situations that we're, we're facing in the coming months?
3: I think this is incredibly hard with Christmas coming up around the corner tomorrow. Um, And uh, events where it's really important and we really want to be with people we love and care about um, to say, you know, this year, I'm going to pass up this opportunity and it's really, I'm going to do it by Zoom. I'm not going to do it in person. And yes, it's a sacrifice and it's painful. But I think, you know, as somebody who takes care of people who are critically ill on ventilators and many of whom don't survive, I think the sacrifice for a short period of time, until we have vaccines and other things that are readily available, um, I'm encouraging people to do it. We are recording this at just before Thanksgiving. I have a son in Seattle who is going to fly home, and we told him, "Don't come." You know, it's too risky. Uh, so, so I think you know to sacrifice short for a short period of time is worth it in the long run, even if the chance for an individual is low, you don't want to be someone who loses somebody that they really care about.
1: So you talk about the fact that you just um, said to your son, you know, you got to stay in Seattle, which I know had to be really hard. I uh, just told my daughter that uh, I won't be joining her in North Carolina, and we just canceled everything. So What, you know, on a personal basis, besides your son, I'm sure you've had these conversations with other family members, with other friends. So, you know, when you're thinking about getting together at the holidays, we still have New Year's Eve, which traditionally people really spend together and and have a great time. Um, You know, can you give people some suggestions on how to handle that? Uh, Because it's a delicate situation because not everybody's headspace is the same.
3: It's a it's a really important and great question. So you know, different people have different strengths of views on this. I guess I would say, and and I find that trying to force people to change their thinking doesn't work very well in general. What I would say is, what are some good alternatives? In other words, can you use Zoom games to have some time together? Can you you know that that has a fun element in addition to just the zooming and personal stuff? Um, Recently, I had a family gathering uh, for a special occasion. It was all done by Zoom, and we had 10 different households together on a Zoom call. And, you know, it was really fun, and I had a really good time. So I think that, that you know, I there are alternatives that aren't as good, but that provide some of the social pleasures that we all really enjoy around this time of year, especially. So I think finding ways to sort of uh, make those interactions really pleasant and uh, and adding some spice to them, um, you can do that and still maintain uh, more safety. In my mind,
2: those are such great ideas. You know, one thing I'm hearing right now, because there are um, now three, and you know, and and hopefully even more on the way, vaccines that are showing great, great promise. Are you concerned at all with the idea that people might be like, oh, we're almost done. I'm I'm just, I'm so over it. I'm not going to worry about it and the vaccine will be here before you know it.
3: It is a concern. I think we're all sick of this. None of us want to live our lives this way if we don't absolutely have to. Um, Many of us have adapted to wearing masks all day long at work or in addition to going out. But I think it's only natural that people really don't want to have to live their lives this way. I think the vaccines are great and the good news is that you know they're showing for at least two of the three 90 plus percent effectiveness. That said it's going to take a long time to get everybody vaccinated and it also sadly will take time to convince people it's safe and worthwhile to get vaccinated. So um I see this issue being with us at least probably till next summer, uh, if not longer, in terms of the practicality. So, you know, why put yourself and your loved ones at risk? I think the these measures, in my mind, um, are not that traumatic, and it's worthwhile the trade-offs. Because, you know, I a long-standing friend of mine had her brother die over the weekend. He got sick and died within 36 hours of hitting the hospital, Um, and it was a real tragedy. So I I see this happening and hitting people all over the place, and it's not just the people who are in the high-risk.
1: I think that's so true. Um, I think we all have those stories. So many of us know people who have died from this, and we have to take it very seriously. so as the vaccines and clinical trial research are released, lung cancer specialists will be better assess, better able to assess, you know, if a COVID vaccine is the right approach to protect lung cancer patients. But in the meantime, what would you like the general public to know about a potential coronavirus vaccine? Uh, how to judge its safety and how to decide whether a vaccine is right for them?
3: So in my mind, you know, we really do have to get to a state where. We have this so-called herd immunity where a large enough fraction of the country has been vaccinated so that uh, COVID is reduced markedly to a background illness, hopefully less than the flu. Um, But it's gonna take a long time to get there. I'm really pleased that, you know, the pharmaceutical companies got together and now the CDC also has sort of stepped forward and said, we're not gonna compromise on assessing the safety of these vaccines and their efficacy. And and they really, I think know that if uh, there are a lot of adverse reactions to the vaccines, everybody will avoid them and we will be stuck in this awful limbo state for very long periods of time. So that the only way out of this is to really be able to have sufficient safety of the vaccine and a low enough rate of adverse reactions so that people want the vaccine and are comfortable getting it. Um, Right now, the numbers of patients treated, you know, is in the tens of thousands for each vaccine. Um, So it's still relatively early, but I think we're going to learn very quickly about the safety of these vaccines and how often they're adverse. Are adverse events, and I suspect that by the time the distribution mechanisms are really established in the spring or summer, that we will know much more about the safety. Personally, you know, uh, unless the side there are new side effects that have not yet been reported that um, are really serious, I mean, coronavirus is a nasty illness that can kill people. So you really need to have a significant side effect profile in order to say, hey, this vaccine is not worthwhile. But I'm glad the pharmaceutical companies and the FDA and the CDC are now all on the same page to say safety is a must.
2: That's really hopeful information. It sounds like, sounds like you um, feel like we're starting to be on the right track with uh, getting a handle on this.
3: Absolutely. And I think, you know, the other thing for patients who have lung cancer or or for family members is, you know, many patients with lung cancer have significantly diminished lung reserve. And so, you know, that means that if they were to get COVID, the ability to fight it off and to deal with it is much less potentially, particularly if they are having chemotherapy or other drugs that may affect their host defenses and immune system. So I think that for people with limited reserve, lung reserve, as is the case for many of my patients, or who have lung cancer, I think the vaccine takes on additive importance. And I just really would want to encourage those folks and family members to be sure that they get vaccinated on the earlier side, if at all
1: possible. Such sensible, level-headed advice from Dr. Ingbar. We really appreciate the time he took out of his very busy schedule treating patients at the University of Minnesota Medical School.
2: And up next, a little help managing the challenges of celebrating the holidays while living with lung cancer during COVID-19.
1: Are you enjoying the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast? Consider making a donation to help LCFA produce this resource for patients or anyone seeking answers, hope, and access to updated treatment information, scientific investigation, and clinical trials. Just text LCF America to 41444 to join in this important fight. check in with a wonderful resource for managing the psychological challenges of the coronavirus pandemic. University of Colorado Anschutz Cancer Center Oncologist, psychologist, Dr. Laura Melton. She has an incredible perspective on living with lung cancer in the COVID era.
2: Dr. Melton says we have to move past the temporary of COVID-19 and start thinking about what changes or habits we can make for the long haul. She shares some insights about what she's hearing from lung cancer patients as we head into the holiday season. What are you hearing from your patients seeing in the healthcare setting that is different from what we were seeing in the spring?
0: Yeah, so I think a lot has changed, and yet a lot feels the same. You know, it feels like about day nine million of quarantine, and yet here we are with new numbers, uh, lots of things have changed. The great news is that we have a lot better treatments for people with COVID. And so as we're all seeing in the news, more people are surviving COVID and we're able to treat them a lot better um, with more advanced techniques because now we know how to treat people um, in in those better ways. I think the difficulty right now is that with this new surge that we're seeing, we're seeing higher rates of hospitalization of patients than ever before. And that has just taken a toll on the healthcare setting because our providers are exhausted. Our nurses and our doctors and our nursing assistants our medical assistants, they've had no break. They are exhausted. There was no time off this summer. It was still going forward. And now more and more healthcare providers are also getting sick. So we're seeing reports where, yes, we're able to treat the patients, we're able to have better outcomes, and yet we are, you know, concerned about shortages with our staff. Um, Providers who get sick themselves or have a family member or child who gets sick and therefore have to stay out of work for 10 to 14 days. I think there's just a concern that with flu season also mounting difficulty in understanding what's flu versus COVID um, and really trying to keep everyone safe. It just feels like uh, winter is coming
2: and we're in for a long winter in certain ways. It's really interesting how different it is. I mean, like you say, it's everything's the same and yet everything's different and the challenges are, are new, but the stress feels the same.
0: Yeah. I think people are feeling this ongoing stress level. You know, I think back in March and April and even May, it was still kind of new to all of us. We were still figuring our way through. What does this look like? How are we navigating this with hope? Um, I think we still had a lot of hope that maybe things would, you know, quote, clear up in the summer or things would get a lot better. And while there were some better numbers over the summer, you know, we know people with lung cancer have had these ongoing worries about the lung cancer as a backdrop to everything that does not go away. And the concern about what would happen to them or their family members if someone got COVID has been that high anxiety this entire time. And so now it's becoming an endurance race. And that idea of, you know, where are we on the marathon? Are we, are we close or are we midway through? Um, And instead of having a mile marker to inform us of that, we're just having to try to keep enduring and moving forward at this time.
2: That's a really good metaphor. Um, I, I, I suppose that, you know, a real experienced marathoner would be able to say oh yeah I I have an idea where I am you know how far the race goes but if you're doing it for the first time um, as we all are in this pandemic you don't have any sense of like am I am I five miles into this am I 12 miles am I 18 miles into this and almost done I mean we just have no idea.
0: Yeah, we, you're right. We have no idea. For most of us, this is our first global pandemic. Um, and so we're all figuring this out as we go. Things are changing. Schools are open. Schools are closed. Schools are hybrid. People are quarantining uh, constantly. Mask mandates are changing or stay-at-home orders are changing in, in different states. And it's just been a really big roller coaster. And I think that is something that people with lung cancer have experienced before coronavirus is that... That roller coaster feeling of good scans, not so good scans during treatment, feeling well during treatment, feeling ill, um, and that uncertainty of all of that. However, this time we don't have a our own personal doctor necessarily telling us what to expect as that next step mm-hmm. um, during the this pandemic or what we can kind of project. My, we might be how we might be feeling or or what what to predict, and so we're really all I think struggling with how to kind of keep our spirits up during this time.
2: That's a great point. What are you hearing from lung cancer patients that you're working with and and maybe even other immunocompromised patients? I know you work with a lot of different folks who are Mm -hmm. facing um, pretty significant health challenges. As we head into, I think part of what makes this so challenging is that we're heading into the holidays. We're heading into Mm -hmm. that time of year where, you know, in May, you can say, oh, not a big deal that I can't see my grandparents or the kids can't see the grandparents. You know, it's summer and we're running around and, but the holidays, it really feels like there's something missing. There's something that's being taken away from me if I can't plan on seeing family during the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, other holidays. What are you hearing from lung cancer patients about how they're Um, going into this time of year? Yeah, great question. A couple big things come to mind.
0: One is that a lot of people with lung cancer are fatigued from saying no, especially if their thoughts about safe practices differ from others in their family or their social network. They're tired of being that person that's always saying no, or always saying we need to skip it this year. Um, And so, you know, I always say, Let's get people around you who hear you so that you don't have to be the only one alone, you know. Grab a spouse, grab an adult child who understands or a friend and say, you know, I need your support right now because I can't be the only one saying no. It feels like a party pooper constantly. And like you said, these are the holidays in the United States. That's when we get together as family. We we eat. You can't eat with a mask on, you know, like there's all of these things that are really, really challenging this year. I think the other thing is that people are really facing struggles on whether or not to travel. So for many of us, it's that idea and many people with lung cancer are saying, absolutely not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm really worried about my health. I'm gonna stay home, um, stay socially uh, quarantining and isolating and really uh, stay safe. Other people are facing a different challenge Depending on people's prognosis, there's concern that what if this truly is my last holiday season? Um, if, if my prognosis is six months or a year, or I know that this could my, my cancer could change at any moment, people are making calculated risks and taking risks that from the outside might look different than a lot of people would make. But they're saying, I need to take this flight and go visit my family or you know this year i am going to not have my kids quarantine for two two weeks when they come home from college because they only have a three week break and i want to see them so badly and i know that this might this truly might be my last year and there's a lot of judgment coming from the outside when people are making those decisions you know people don't really know none of us know anyone else's circumstances when we see something out our window and we see people congregating or at a park. you know, Many of us just, we could quickly judge people. Uh, we always have, and now we judge people whether they're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or seems like they're social distancing or not social distancing without knowing the true story. And a lot of people that I work with with lung cancer a bit, have been telling me that they're feeling those judgments when they're
2: choosing
0: and making calculated risks Based on their lives, to do some of these travel or to go and see some of their family members.
2: Boy, that's a challenge that so many of us don't face and wouldn't even consider. And I think it's really important to understand that perspective so that, you know, we can help not put that pressure and that stress on people who are living with, with lung cancer or any other really challenging disease. It is stressful to
0: even to travel these days, right? To to go to the grocery store sometimes and helping people take, you know, make those calculated decisions for themselves, talk through if they're deciding to go fly back east to visit family because it's going to be their their last opportunity to do so. How are how are they taking care of themselves? What precautions are they taking? What are those family precautions? Are those family members taking? Uh, and, and who's willing to put up with those same levels of risk. And I think that's where um, people really are struggling right now for any of us, as we want to interact with others, as we're feeling more and more socially isolated. You know, are we matching up with other people willing to take the same levels of risk that we are? You hear about a lot about these kind of COVID bubbles or groups of people, families or others that, that are willing to get together because they're taking the same kind of risk level and are willing to accept that. And I think that's where some of these where some people are moving towards is people who haven't had a bubble before are kind of needing to create one for their mental health. Again, not knowing how far along we are on this marathon and kind of you know we there's a little bit of glimmer on the on the horizon, but where are we on that and how long what else can i add right now to take care of myself at this time. That's a
2: great great point. I love that analogy. So I think it's fair to say that calculations going into sitting down at the Thanksgiving table um, are a little more challenging this year. We've got a very politically charged atmosphere, and it's kind of a joke to say, you know, we all get around the Thanksgiving table and argue politics, and that was, you know, it was just kind of part of the, the evening's entertainment in years past, and now it feels like just getting to the Thanksgiving table um, is, a, is politically charged. I mean, that's got to be compounding the calculations, the difficulty of the calculations and the stress level of people trying to figure out what on earth do we do about Thanksgiving or Christmas or, or Hanukkah or other holidays where we would all normally be together. I mean, what are people doing?
0: You're absolutely right, it's kind of the great American tradition right that we talk about politics at Thanksgiving and we're all around the table. Some of my patients honestly are are relieved to not have to have those conversations this year, they use coronavirus as that kind of big out of we're not going anywhere we're not going to see family. Uh, We're gonna really simplify things this year. And I think that's another cool thing that I'm hearing is let's go back to some old traditions we used to do that are a more simple way. We've all been attached to our phones and our tablets and our computers more so in these past nine, 10 months than ever before because that's literally the only way many of us are connecting. But to really say there are different ways that we can continue on with the American traditions um, and with our, or worldly traditions, right? Whatever traditions people have, there are different ways that we can honor those traditions without necessarily having to all come together. Now, there's still plenty of people who are gonna do a Zoom Thanksgiving. Um, they're gonna set up their computer and, uh, at one spot and have grandma and grandpa Zoom into the meeting, or some people are dropping off plates of food with family members. People are getting really creative in how they're doing that. And other people are going to order a pizza and have movie time as a family and say, you know what, it was stressful in the past to actually cook the turkey and the stuffing and the green bean casserole and yada yada and like, maybe we don't have to do that every time and this is kind of a reset year for a lot of folks in that way.
2: That's a great way to think about it. I mean, what what a bunch of wonderful ideas! And then you can set up and argue politics over Zoom, just like we always have, <laughs> if you want to. If you want to, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to. I love that. What a great idea! A number of great ideas in there. So, just like you say, we don't know. We're in this marathon. We don't know how long we have to go. And I think. It's really challenging right now because there are two, as, as of the time that we're taping this, there are two very, very promising vaccines. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, it feels like, oh, just just a little bit further, not that much farther to go. And on the other hand, we don't know how much further we have to go. I mean, how do we do calculations at this point for keep staying safe, not letting our guard down now you know, as we feel like there are some very hopeful, um, promising uh, treatments on the horizon, prevention on the horizon.
0: Yeah, well, I think we're all, or many of us are very excited about the vaccines that are showing great efficacy and kind of looking forward to that. I think we've all learned a lot about the supply chain, thinking back to how hard it was to get toilet paper in certain areas this spring. We know that just because something exists, it wasn't as though there wasn't toilet paper, right? It was the supply chain getting it to people. And I think that's kind of the next big question a lot of people have about the vaccines is, what is that gonna look like? There's been broad statements about, you know, high-risk healthcare workers and people with um, serious illnesses or who in high-risk groups would be some of the first people to get vaccines. Certainly I'm having conversations with some of my patients about, People, you know, wondering whether they would want to take the first vaccine or whether they'd want to wait for a number four or five, kind of, kind of wondering, do you take the first thing that's out of the gate or do you wait a little bit? Um, How, how much is actually going to get to each state and how is that going to be distributed? You know, there's lots of questions around that. And then the other big thing that that's coming up as well is, um, you know, somebody living with lung cancer let's say neither you or I know it's not our expertise but if they're eligible early on for a vaccine and and they can take it, it doesn't necessarily mean that other people in their family are able to be eligible you know so uh, a spouse, children, uh, parents, you know they may or may not be eligible as well and so there's I think a lot to come in those sorts of ways. your analogy, of it seems like we're getting close and there's, there's kind of this light on the horizon, but yet we still don't know. I think is where we, we all can, can benefit from really taking care of ourselves during this time. You know, really bolstering our self-care that comes from making sure we're getting enough water and eating, eating decent food, even around the holidays when we tend to indulge more, but making sure we're eating foods that make us feel good internally. You know, um, a lot of people had dramatic changes, uh, have had dramatic changes in how much they move their body um, from just commuting into work or going to the grocery store and walking around the grocery store. When those, when those daily tasks have changed, people are moving a lot less. So really figuring out how do we go and incorporate more of that into our lives, thinking about other self-care, um, having candles that make you feel good. Um, you know, lots of people are putting up holiday decorations early, or they're thinking about giving gifts early because they don't want to wait for one day, but let's help celebrate early. And the biggest thing I think as well is that, you know, you mentioned politics before, we, we have people thinking, um, making different calculated risks for themselves and their families um, at this time in the coronavirus pandemic as well, is to, to give each other and give ourselves grace. You know, it's easy to um, get reprimanded by someone because we accidentally did something or to feel like others are judging us or we're judging other people. And to just say, you know, we really don't know their full story and that everybody everybody is impacted by this. Everybody's lives have changed in so many different ways that it doesn't mean one person's is harder than the others or one is more important than another person's all of us get to claim um, a global pandemic as a difficulty in 2020. Even if you kept your job, even if you had a stable income or you already worked from home, doesn't matter. We all get to claim it because it has really changed a lot of things in life.
2: Well, I think that's the best best perspective um, as we all are facing these challenges. And just like you say, I mean, we are not facing the same challenges but but the challenges are for the same reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a great perspective. Dr. Melton, I really appreciate your time today. I um, we had a wonderful conversation in the spring and this is just a, a fantastic update um, to help people who are living with lung cancer and um, other people who are living with them or supporting them or in their lives to um, Uh, go into the holiday season with some joy and some strategies for, um, you know, being together, maybe even if they are not getting together.
0: Yeah, it's been great to talk. I think, you know, the one thing I would leave um, people with is the idea that we really need to move past this temporary thinking in the coronavirus and really figure out how to have a sustainable future. doesn't mean it's going to be this way forever, but we need to really kind of say, if this is going to, if this were to keep going for a while, what do I want to adjust in my life? Not, I'll just wait till coronavirus is over and then go back to X, but what can I adjust in, in my life right now to improve my quality of life, to improve my physical, mental health, my social health, and really kind of thinking about our whole person, because this is a long journey. This is, you know, we've gone past the marathon to the Iron Man scenario, right? And, <laughs> and so I think we, we need to figure out how how we can really take care of ourselves so that we can also take care of others.
1: What a great list of self-care ideas from Dr. Melton, and I love her focus on giving ourselves and others grace as we all learn how to manage our lives during COVID. She and I were both laughing at the
2: idea of figuring out ways to take better care of ourselves as I taped that interview with her from my new walking treadmill desk. So putting those ideas into action. Thank you to Dr. David Ingbar of the University of Minnesota Medical School and University of Colorado's Anschutz Cancer Center's Dr. Laura Melton.
1: Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast. You'll be notified every time a new episode is available So visit us online at lcfamerica.org where you can find more information about the latest in lung cancer research, new treatments, and more. You can also join the conversation with LCFA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.